all the world, of course, is talking about what happened on January 6th, and that's what we're going to zero in on. January 6th has us messed up on so many levels, in particular, if you're like many of us here in the Counter Stories crew, you've been looking back at this and having to just kind of laugh to yourself at the at the notion that this would be new, that this is not part of a long pattern in history. This is Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Anthony Galloway, Senior Partner at Dendros Group and Executive Director of Arts Us. I'm Don Eubanks, Associate Professor at Metropolitan State University and Cultural Consultant. I'm Luz Maria Frias, uh, Deputy Attorney General for the State of Minnesota, and any statements that I make are solely attributed to my personal views and should not be attributed to those of my own. And I'm Holly Lee, owner of the Other Media Group. Now, if you're new to Counter Stories, we have been around since 2014. We started uh, as a podcast of NPR News, and now we are, are are independent in partnership with Ampers Radio. So some of you may be listening to us today for the first time. What I want us to 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 let you know for those who are just tuning in to Counter Stories and just getting a chance to meet us, um, we first and foremost we don't speak for all of our communities. We speak to all of our communities. And that's a very important distinction between a lot of the times that folks of color have to show up or are made to show up when we get into these conversations. The second piece is we tend to lean into the nuance, the big connective pieces, right? So so we may go really, really, really deep on things that are not just specific to a moment, but are specific to patterns that affect people of color over time. So as we engage in this conversation, come be a fly on the wall. We're going to get into some things today because we got a lot to talk about um, based on what has happened in these past few weeks and some of the things that are coming. But just know that if you're first tuning in, we like to dig into the nuance in and between all of our different respective communities. Um, I represent and come from um, the African-American community, a multi-generational families here through the history of slavery in the United States. Uh, we Don Eubanks straddles multiple identities, uh, both black and native, indigenous uh, perspectives. Lee coming uh, to us uh, with Hmong perspectives and Luz Maria Frias coming to us um, from a Latinx perspective. And so we've got a lot of different views and, and ways of approaching some of the things that are common to all of us BIPOC community folks. All right, y'all, here we go. Let's talk about January 6th. We'll give a little bit of what happened on January 6th, but we're going to dive into some of the patterns that aren't new to a whole lot of our our, our communities. So unless you've been under a rock someplace or, or been really, really deep on the front lines and haven't been able to tune in, which isn't very many folks, January 6th, there was an insurrection assault on the Capitol, the U.S. Capitol of the United States by Trump supporters after a rally where folks were energized and drummed up by President Trump to go march on the Capitol. They breached the Capitol, caught uh, Capitol defense flat-footed. We'll talk a little bit about that more. And they <laughs> made it all the way inside the Capitol um, and, and, and as a result of the violence um, and the terrorist acts that happened at the Capitol, people are dead. Let's talk about it, y'all. Um, what are some of the things that stood out as you are reflecting back on January 6th? Right. My biggest um, issue that day and since that day, every day has been language and how the media, mainstream media has framed it. Uh, They went from framing it as protesters to framing it as a mob, but refusing to call it for what it was and what it is, is domestic terrorism. We've talked about this 
for years on uh, on our in our discussions and our podcasts with NPR and elsewhere where too often on a, and this is a pattern uh, and we talk about patterns on our program there's a pattern for the in the media to really couch this as a one off right individuals doing their own thing responsible for their behavior and not seeing this as a pattern that really is endemic to folks who are of the white supremacy mindset. Now we know if if the folks doing what was occurring on the Capitol grounds and into the Capitol building were anything but white, we will all know what was going on and, and what would be the repercussions immediately in terms of um, suppressing the activity and, and arresting folks and tear gassing them and rubber bullets and the list goes on. My issue is with how it was being discussed and continue to be framed, we need to be honest. We need to be honest with the fact that this is terroristic activity and that white folks can be and are domestic terrorists. And there's a long history of that dating back to generations, hundreds of years ago and how white supremacists interacted and treated folks from the indigenous community and of course enslaved people, terroristic behavior and threats were on, on, on the regular, right? That's no different today. And we, and it matters. It matters for us to be honest because being truthful is a gift of trust that you give to others. If we refuse to be truthful with our words and with our framing, we cannot begin to move forward. And that's that's the part that continues to really irk me every day when folks are being soft about describing folks. But now, of course, if they were folks who were not white, you know, we'd hear words like thug. We we hear words as terrorists. You know, the list goes on in criminals. It's still this couching and around this fragility that exists that really is. Uh, it needs to end. Loose. It just needs to end. I don't have any more patience for it. It needs to end. Loose. Uh, you know, it's funny. I got to preach on Sunday, but you just gave the sermon. We can just hit the benediction now and keep it moving because <laughs> I think you said everything that was on my mind directly. Um, you know, it's an interesting thing. You talked about them moving from mob to to riot to to to, to terrorism. Um, I must have tuned in later then in the conversation because I know during that day, you know, I was I had other things that were going. I just started seeing these things just start popping up over time. Um, by the time I got to the news agency, folks were beside themselves, you know, calling this domestic terrorism and just were floored and moved completely out of their center space. As if this wasn't expected or is that if this if this was new to your point throughout the history. And so, um, you know, when you talk about what irks you, what irks me is folks who have had opportunities to be able to call things what they are all this time. And then now in this hour are trying to, to, to correct the narrative and seem like as, as if, you know, like, like, like they've had this epiphany that all these patterns and all these things that we've been talking about year after year after year over the past six years uh, or past four years in particular, um, are a brand new thing is if they're they're now saying these things you could take their words out and talk about all things that folks on the ground have been saying for the past four years 
and they're acting like it's brand new and that they have a moral uh, uh they have a moral requirement nah. to say something now nah. well where were you, you too know, little uh, too late too <laughs> little too come on Lee. i'm sorry i you know people who you know supported the rallies and you know oh there are there are lawmakers who stood by watched so much stuff happen never saying a word always coming up with excuses and honestly, when I was watching it unfold, my first thought was first, if you know, we can get them all out of the Capitol and the Senate and, you know, and Congress goes back to work, uh, maybe this will teach them, you know, what it's like to have lived through it. And I think it, it did with the, for a couple of lawmakers who said, wow, that was actually really scary. I've been saying this about COVID. A lot of people, and it's not just lawmakers, like everybody, there's a lot of people who are, don't believe it's real until it happens to them or it happens to somebody in their family. And this is the same thing. They had never experienced this this level of threat. This scared them to the point where they felt like they had to say something. I don't buy it, though, because you need to have been saying this stuff before. When you're a lawmaker, you need to be held to that higher standard of understanding that this stuff happens um and it shouldn't have to happen to you for you to do something about it when you've had this power all along you're listening to counter stories i'm anthony galloway with crew members don eubanks luz maria frias and Hli lee with support from the minnesota arts and cultural heritage fund so you know you know um this isn't the first time we've seen this type of in insurrection by these white nationalist militias, these uh, um, domestic terrorists, because we've talked about this on other Counter Stories programs, because it's been happening over the past two years. Um, when the pandemic hit, you know, there's there's one excuse after another. The first was the loss of their liberties, their freedom, the fact that uh, they were being asked to wear a mask. And how many times did we address that when white militias showed up with their guns to various state capitol buildings. And, I mean, in particular, uh, the state of Michigan, when they uh, stormed the state of Michigan, who doesn't have a ban on having guns inside their capital. Um, and I think, you know, we, as well as the rest of the country, watched these white militias, even here in Minnesota, show up to the Capitol carrying their guns. Um, and I think that, well, not, no, I don't think, in our discussions on Counter Stories, we talked about the difference in how those individuals were met and handled by the police. Because we know, we know after our experiences in terms of protesting and how many times have we talked on this program on the in racial injustices we see where police are constantly killing members of our community? And we stand up and protest against this racial injustice. We are met with this violent, brute force, rubber bullets, uh, tear gas. It goes on and on. And I remember you know, us discussing and watching in awe how white men, angry white men, push police out of the way 
and enter these buildings. So when this happened again, I just sat there and it, I, we knew it was coming. Well, <laughs> and, been, and Don, you know, to, I, Don, it, to it, your point, to your point, to your very point, right? So, so you remind us constantly being a member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe, bring an indigenous voice to the table. You run the, the, you run the tale of the tape history wise for us. So let's run the tale of the tape here of the moments that white folks gathered violently in recent history and, and were not met with the same, same, uh, vitriol, violent, heavy handed response that folks have done for, for, for BLM or, or folks who are fighting for racial justice and gathering and protesting for racial justice. There's a whole lot of other differences, but let's run the tape. So you just mentioned, um, the Michigan incident. Let's add, um, Dylan Roof, uh, there's the shooter in the mother Emanuel, uh, um, uh, church, uh, got a hamburger, got taken out to dinner after his, oh, they, his they violent stopped insurrection. That, they stopped, stopped that him Burger right away. King. Stopped at Burger King on the way. They, you, let's talk about um, the white militia group, white nationalist militia group that took over a state uh, or a federal park. And, you know, we in, in recent memory, we, we, we can't forget the Bundy. Yeah, Clive Bundy, right? So and, um, and federal buildings on federal land. On federal lands and partly dipped into issues where the native nation nearby yes. had to confront them and close things off. Right. We, 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 to your point, when you, when I just want to make sure that wait, for folks wait, who are Anthony, coming you, in, you Ooh, I'm not done. Okay. Well, I'm not done. Okay. Keep going. Go ahead, Luz. I got Go Luz. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. All right, so I, I was figuring I'll throw some day, in there. Guys, yep, but we got to run the tail of some of this tape recently. Uh, let's let's talk about um, um, what what has happened in juxtaposition to Tamir Rice, right? At, at the same time, where Tamir, Tamir Rice is described as 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 a, a, a young man at 12 years old, but the shooter uh, of the Batman movie uh, in a movie theater, and he the age difference is ridiculous, right? Let's let, let's talk about. All of the, and let alone the bar fights, the things that are happening on the ground level that don't get reported in national news, right? These are not new. Even the FBI having to um, get caught flat foot on their feet talking about we need to add these folks to the domestic terror rules. I just learned, and Luce, you can help me with this, that in terms of terrorism, if you are, um, if you are brown or Muslim, you get dealt with if there's some violence in this way, according to international terrorism rules, if you are white and Christian, you you get dealt with under criminal code in the United States, which does not have the same treatment and resources available to, to do what's done on the national level. The differences are staggering. Add you to the list, Luz. Charlottesville. 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 Oh, right. Come on. Right. I had posted on social media and I said, you know, uh, there's been the, there are stories going around about uh, security folks or off-duty cops or, you know, using their IDs to get into to the Capitol during the riot. Somebody literally responded to me on social media and said they're good people on both sides and not even realizing that they were quoting Trump. They just said they're good and bad people for both, uh, the, uh, for all the riots that happened in 2022. And I was like, uh-uh-uh, you, 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 you're not comparing looting an effing target to storming the Capitol building while our lawmakers are trying to do their job. But people are in a sense that, you know, I, I know a lot of people are comparing, right, how the police um, handled the rioters at the Capitol versus the peaceful protesters who were outside of a church so that, you know, Trump could get a photo. People are comparing saying, do you see the difference? 
I mean, there, but you know, there's a lot of, of um, supporters of Trump who don't see the difference. President-elect Biden approached the podium, what, two, three days ago, and in his statement, he stood there and acknowledged that that uh, that this country doesn't have to imagine if those individuals were a Black Lives Matter protest and how they would have been treated from what he saw Wednesday with the white as uh, insurrection and uh, uh, attempted coup of the United States, because there's no other way to to frame what happened. So I, I want to also connect the dots for folks. You, um, thank you for connecting the dot there in that statement, Don. The other the other part of this is how folks are twisting the the word hero and applying the word hero uh, in the setting. So we know that people were killed, mm-hmm. one of whom is Ashley Babbitt, who's an Air Force veteran of like 14 years. She was killed, shot and killed by Capitol Police as she was entering unlawfully the Capitol building by force um, and then ending up in, inside the building. And and folks, there's an entire movement right now in our country trying to protest in her favor. And there's a, a big demonstration, I understand, that is scheduled in her honor as a hero. And they're and they're framing her as a hero. Uh, and I've read pieces about how why does she get shot? She didn't have a gun. Does it sound familiar? She didn't have a gun. Why did she get shot? And she was only breaking in. She didn't do anything wrong. Okay. Can we draw the connection between that and all of the killings of unarmed? A kid buying up some Skittles? Unarmed black and brown people who have been killed by police for doing less than what Ashley Babbitt did. I want to add to that, Luz, uh, because... If you could take that, the first thing that you saw were positive attributions to who she was as a as doing this, performing this this act of terrorism in the U.S. Capitol. But when when Brianna, Jamar Clark, my classmate Philando Castillo, who I went to Central High School with, um, when when these folks were, were killed, you immediately saw um, a search and a quest and a publication of perceived negative attributes over them just for dying. And we're not talking about folks. Who 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 were, who were suspected of committing criminal act at the time, right? It, it, so even if you had if that was a thread that you needed to try to make some some defense, and so you know, not only is it different in the treatment right there physically, you know, but but in the recounting of their lives in connection to the incident, we see a very huge difference in that reporting. You're listening to Counter Stories. I'm Anthony Galloway with crew members Don Eubanks, Luz Maria Frias, and Lee Lee with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. I just wanted to comment that uh, that uh, when Luz made that that initial comment, you may have heard some a giggle or a little laughter. And, you know, to, to contextualize that, you know, my, my reaction wasn't uh, in disrespect for the fact that that woman was shot and killed. That laughter was, was uh, in response to the response that we get 
for the fact that every time one of us is killed and that's overlooked and we point out the fact that they were totally unarmed, we just had, you know, that recent decision where uh, the police aren't going to charge the uh, officer who shot Jacob Blake. You know, we have to continually deal and suffer um, um, with these uh, injustices day in and day out, the, 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 the power differential. But, you know, with Wednesday, uh, you know, one of the articles that, you know, because there have been a lot of articles, a lot of discussion that is centered on the dynamics of uh, what happened Wednesday in comparisons. You know, right now we have one party who's trying to uh, make comparisons with the Black Lives Matter movement in terms of this insurrection on Wednesday. And, and the connection for them is the violence, um, totally overlooking the fact that one is fighting for racial and social justice, the other was fighting to overthrow government. So I'm not sure how that, you know, quite lines up. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and, you know, back to this, to what Lou's brought up in terms of how things are reframed in terms of that young woman being trying to be defined as a hero. <clears throat> I think <clears throat> in previous conversations, I, you know, I've pointed out how that certain population that, you know, that the mega, the mega individuals who support this current president um, have redefined a- as well as he has redefined what patriots mean. And we are now at a point in this country where they continue to say that what they did Wednesday was an act of American patriotism. Just to give you an idea of how they have taken those terms and twisted it. And, you know, we have, uh, you know, we've been under attack ever since this person assumed his uh, position in this country. Um, and it goes back to, you know, to um, um, to the fact of how he demonized NFL football players for kneeling for social justice as an unpatriotic act. And think about that. Kneeling for social justice is unpatriotic, but taking over this country's capital is framed as a an American patriotic act. Think about the power of how they have been able to take that along with what Luz is saying and twist that whole thing around. Thank God those stories have come out on how that black uh, Capitol police officer was sacrificing himself running up those stairs in front of that angry white mob, directing them away from the Senate chambers in order to give those senators and other elected officials time to get out of that building. That there is patriotism. That there is what an example of a hero is, but you very seldom hear that expressed on any media channel, right? So there is a huge difference in terms of how that term hero and what patriotism means. I have mentioned on previous shows that in the past year, the American flag as being waved by individuals who support Make America Great um, has taken on a totally different meaning for me and many members of my community and your community and all our communities. 
because that patriotism doesn't include us. And see, with there, I'm glad you said that, Don, because for the longest I have been saying, and maybe I've not said it on air because I perhaps have forgotten, but we need to reclaim that. You know, we need to, at any BLM uh, demonstration or any other uh, type of demonstration where we're seeking racial justice together, we need to be having our, you know, carrying the flag as well. We can't allow the MAGA uh, population to claim it for themselves. You know, we need to correct that. And I would go a little bit further. When we think about, when you talked about this, this capital security officer, who Eugene Goodman is his name. Thank you, uh, yep. Mr. Goodman, who who risked his life to save others. Let's not forget that also as part of this insurrection, we it's been abundantly clear that folks from the inside within Capitol uh, Police Security betrayed their own folks mm. and infiltrated, you know, the event by allowing this, these entries that come in, and also what we've learned very clearly, which we already knew, but it now is in the media being, uh, you know, raised up, is that a number of these ins- insurrectionists and domestic terrorists are, in fact, the CEOs of our com- companies. They are lawyers across the country. They are police officers who flew from as far as Seattle, Washington. To be Don't leave out pastors. Right? And pastors, right? And when you think about historically with white supremacy and the lynchings that happened of enslaved people, that we knew that back then. We knew that th- that that when they took off the you know their uniforms from their job and put on the KKK uh, robes, they were the same person. No, they were the folks making the decisions leading to all of the systemic stuff. And and Luz, you know, I, I've been wanting, I've been talking about taking back the flag or reclaiming the flag um, because, and this is something I didn't know, um, a few, well, several years ago, I was interviewing a man who um, had just returned and um, he was in the military and uh, my client said, hey, you know, there's an office down the hall and they have an American flag hanging. Wouldn't it be great if you did his interview in front of the flag? Okay, yeah, that's fine, whatever. So I took him in and and he told me the flag was hanging incorrectly. And he gave me this like history of patriotism and the importance of the flag that it's hung correctly, that it's, you know, not upside down or, you know, and then now I see the black and white flag with the blue stripe and they're calling themselves patriots. And, and I, I, I was just so confused by that because I had learned you know, from this man who had served uh, and he was so passionate and he was saying, oh, you know, teaching me all the ways that, you you know, people oftentimes and not maliciously, but people will hang a flag incorrectly because they don't know. So I, I was so confused uh, that now people who are taking this flag that is supposed to be sacred and that we can't kneel in front of and turning it into to something else, you know, and saying that they are the patriots now. Um, you know, and I, I, I had talked to folks about this whole reclaiming the flag, taking back the flag. And then I thought, does that flag even really represent us? Does that flag even <laughs> include us? Do we even want that flag? When my ancestors saw that flag coming over the hill, it meant we were going to die. 
in in that frame, however, I, yeah, I tend I'm agreeing with you there, Hilly. For me, it's it's the idea that they have rebranded and created this this corrupted idea of what it means to be a patriot in this country. And they have taken that term and they have used it as a sledgehammer to embolden themselves and others. So during a pandemic, while the rest of us are trying to stay alive, trying to adhere to COVID restrictions, trying to stay six feet apart, wearing a mask to protect ourselves and others, they are demanding their right, just like this woman the other day on the American airline who refused to put her face mask over her nose and was escorted off that plane uh, by the Metropolitan Airport Police when she got off. I mean, and she was doing it in the name of tyranny. Tyranny was her battle cry, that she was standing up for all of our rights. And that's how conflated this issue has become in terms of what it means to be a patriot. But I was just pointing that out because I see the American flag now and it does not it does not instill a sense of pride into me. It actually instills a sense of fear because the people who are displaying that flag don't have my best interest in their mind. They are not fighting for me. I have a lovely friend who um, has taken this initiative on and he wears American flag coat, and he always has an American flag hat, and he was a part of the Yang Gang, um, and he's been going on and trying to do this, like, yes, this the flag is for all of us, the flag is not just, you know, for the right-wingers, and he gets such mixed reaction when he actually, you know, when he goes out in it, and I feel like, I mean, I couldn't put myself out there like that. He's such a people person that he, you know, he uses it as a way to, to connect with folks. But there's there's also the, you know, closer to the middle of the line. We have to understand that all of our communities have consistently had complicated relationships with the flag. I mean, this the, the whole um, Southern uh, Pride, Stars and Bars, Confederacy praising that can happen. This notion of patriotism means that you have to have some kind of you have to either be neutral or positive about the flag and that's it. Otherwise, you're not a patriot is what's happening at the margins of this, not just the extreme. And so, you know, there's there's a there's an important piece to that that I, I, I want to get into. And that is to, to come back to this, not just that this riot and the violent actions that we saw are not new, but neither are a lot of the patterns that we've been talking about. So I'm going to I want to take us to that. You're listening to Counter Stories. I'm Anthony Galloway with crew members Don Eubanks, Luz Maria Frias, and Hli Lee with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Um, we're talking about what happened on January 6th um, and some of the patterns amongst and from the perspectives of folks of color um, in regards to what, what went down there. Don, you 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 brought up something very interesting. And in in, let's let's if we ran the tape before on the violent um grouping is a white of white mobs uh in recent history let's let's do some of the history of the complication that we have with this notion of patriotism we we have um you know in, in the early in the early days of of our own country we have connections and er, co conflicts with our sense of running from freedom from one form of tyranny and then perpetuating that on the indigenous peoples here 
But what are some of these historical points that we should be thinking about when we, if, when we need to answer the question, this is not new and here's why? Today I saw an article that was written. This article essentially was addressing the issue and the complicity of the evangelical church and many of its followers with Trumpism and Make America Great and, and how they have embraced this administration and its policies, overlooking many of the other backside that, you know, you and I and many of our communities have suffered through for the past four years. But the comment was was one of, uh, it was almost as if this was the first time that there's been this complicity of the Christian church in its relation to some of the racial um injustice that this country has, um, that we're seeing. And, you know, as a Native American uh, person and uh, also African American, you know, from the north side of Minneapolis, from the projects in North Minneapolis, um, I beg to differ because, uh, you know, history tells us that who created the Ku Klux Klan? Well, those were Southern white Christians, right? I mean, members of those communities, which also reinforces what you brought up, Anthony, in terms of the fact that, you know, now we are hearing these reports that that individuals who are part of this crowd come from every walk of life, pastors, police officers, lawyers, etc. Who made up the Ku Klux Klan? It was the power structure of white community, teachers, preachers, law enforcement, the sheriffs, the judges were all part of the Ku Klux Klan. This is no different. Um, who, you know, who supported those structures? I mean, there's a history, a repeating history of this in the United States. It's who the United States is. Um, the idea that they took all this land and tried to kill all the Indians was formed in this white Christian Judeo belief of manifest destiny, that it was their God-given right to do what they did. So they have always framed their kind of racial injustices that they have inflicted upon us and our ancestors have always been framed within this white Christian ideology. So what happened and what this article was talking about was nothing new. Much like I told uh, some folks in terms of uh, my reaction to what happened Wednesday is that that was Wednesday. It was just another day for us as a person of color. You know, in, in keeping with that history that, um, Luce, you have spoken in previous uh, podcasts about um, the language, since, since you were talking about some of the language pieces irking you, around this being a, a race war or the threat of a race war. Um, what's coming up for you in that regard? When I, I've been talking, like many of you, with friends and neighbors and colleagues about the events of January 6th, and there's this, this deep hurt uh, as Americans that people are feeling, when those comments are shared with me, it's a very scrubbed down version. Um, similar to feelings that folks were experiencing with 9-11. I certainly felt that, but my point is when I talk to people, it's yes and. Yes, as an American, 
I am deeply troubled by the events. However, and we also need to speak about the elephant in the room, which is not really as much of an elephant anymore because enough people have started to connect the dots, that this really is a race war that has been elevated and promulgated uh, by the current administration. He's been very clear. And, and I have to say, when we talk about messaging, it's been, it's been very artful for, for that movement to come forward with the force that it has without actually saying race uh, per se. I mean, they've made various statements regarding subjugation of blacks and immigrants and Latinos and, and things of that sort. But it, it's been really at the forefront of his platform for the last four years, but no one's really calling it that. And we need to, again, going back to honesty, being truthful is a gift of trust you give to others. We need to, to really understand when you're seeing Confederate flags, what else are you supposed to think about other than the Civil War and the basis for the Civil War, which had to do with enslavement and folks in the South not wanting to relinquish their ability to own other people, Black people that they had taken by force. And when we think about this refusal, I think that also goes to the denial, you know, refusing to admit what this is really about, refusing to admit that our country's DNA is rooted in white supremacy, and refusing to admit that these are the original sins of our country that have yet to be addressed. The, the atrocities committed against millions of indigenous peoples, the atrocities committed against blacks and enslaved folks coming to this, being forced to come to this country, the atrocities committed to, against anyone who didn't fit the profile of those who were the framers of our constitution, white middle-class men who were property owners, right? So we've got to be honest. We've, we've got to just call it for what it is. And I know that some people get really uncomfortable, but this is reality. And this is a reality of our BIPOC folks, Black, Indigenous, people of color, for those folks who are new to the term. We need to really understand what it really is about in order, in order for us to move forward and be held accountable. But we've been calling it out all along. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, lose. we've been doing it on the show. I mean, that's what our show's about. We don't as as communities of color and indigenous individuals, we have been calling this out since they got off the damn Mayflower. The problem is, is that our voices aren't heard. What what angers me is that um, the other day, um, ex-governor of California, Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? makes his comment, and my immediate reaction was, oh, my God, an uh, Austrian immigrant to the United States who happens to be a white male has a larger platform than I do as an indigenous person to this land, and his voice is heard while ours are not. And that was my reaction to his message. And Don, I don't disagree with you. My point is that the the large narrative that is prolific in the media and in our history books 
all of that is devoid of the reality. That's what I'm pointing out, right? Okay. Uh, Got and it. that's important. That reality is that let's be so clear since we've been running the tape in all these different veins. Let's talk about the freak the, 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 the history of white mobs. Um, when we have somebody to look back and say uh, to be surprised or to, or to be caught flat footed in this, that means you have to ignore all of the indigenous history of, of folks running folks off of their own land. You have to um, in, ignore the you'd have to ignore the formation as we've already said of the Ku Klux Klan, which is a white mob, right? Delivering violence onto I would onto say terrorists. The Ku Klux well, Klan terrorists. Okay. terrorists. Sure. Whatever however you want to frame it, but this 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 riotous white group of violence doers is a pattern in the United States that is 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 true to form. You we don't have to go that far back though. Um in the thirties you have Tulsa and whole black towns being raised by what I mean Tulsa, Oklahoma in particular, because it was the first time ever that an act of domestic terrorism um, involved firebombing from the air on our own soil, right? Because these folks got to keep, took their munitions after World War One, And so, and, and, and raised a black town that was being successful. Um, and that's not the only one. You have the Okoe massacre. You have all these, you know, the, the, the gathering of, of white mobs to do harm is not a new pattern. It's one of our most consistent patterns in the United States. And I just got no time for folks who all of a sudden are recollecting all of this to your point, Don. Like there's a, when you talk about, I always haven't been saying this, there's something that rises in me, this this, this uh, indignation that rises up that you can kind of hear in my chuckles. These ironic chuckles you've been hearing from us because we're balking at the fact that we're supposed to be told now is that there's a, this is an epiphany moment. And, and, and I got to point out, this happened, if you are talking about the Christian faith, this happened on the day of Epiphany, right? The wise men's story. This is just an interesting juxtaposition to all these epiphanies that are going on in the face of folks who have been screaming this for years in all the kind of ways possible. There's some indignation in this chuckle. You're listening to Counter Stories. I'm Anthony Galloway with crew members Don Eubanks, Luz Maria Frias, and Lee Lee with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. One thing that I think all of you guys have said a little bit is this, 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 this is not who we are. I mean, how many of you guys have heard this is not who we are? Um, no, this is exactly what America is. This is what America was built on. Uh, somebody said to me, um, uh, the other thing people are saying, especially with the, the pandemic is we're all in this together. Damaris Hollingsworth with Design by Mello um, said this to me. We're all in the storm, but we're all in different boats. Hmm. Ooh. Right? That's good. Uh, That's good. Some people have a rowboat. Some people exactly. have a canoe. Exactly. Some people have a raft. Some people have a yacht. Some <laughs> exactly. people have a cruise liner. Exactly. And, uh, so I got a life. Oh my vest. God. That, that so perfectly. And I don't know why I didn't think of that as a person who loves boats. It's just so perfectly, you know, sums it up. You know, yes, we're in the same storm, but we all have different boats and we have to choose who, what boat, who's in that boat that we're with. And yes, this is who we are. It, well, <laughs> you know, and the, on the other point of being surprised, come on now. Right. He, he said <laughs> at the end of the day, stand back and stand by. You know, I mean, come on. I mean, well, and then you've got Giuliani that within minutes of, of the of the crowd becoming violent, he says, and I quote, this is trial by combat. He was inciting mm. the crowd 
right? Trial by combat. How much clearer can you be? And how do you begin to, to say that you were taken by surprise? Come on now. <laughs> now, you know, this got me thinking on you know, Black Twitter. Black Twitter's eating this moment up, um, you know, in particular around this notion of language around it being a protest. And folks are like, no, 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 no. In, in response to, to whether this is left wing or this is a Black Lives Matter organized thing, those conspiracy theories that the folks are trying to put out to kind of co- cover themselves. That this, it was actually Antifa? This, that it was actually Antifa, you know, and that it was, it was a protest and you all this kind of stuff. And the memes are out there saying, if you know if this is a Black Lives Matter protest because they're, one, it'd be organized. Two, there'd be medics on site so nobody would be hurt. Three, there'd be folks. And I think in the meme, it says there'd be gay folks hanging, handing out snacks. <laughs> you know, this notion that that there, there'd be white clergy in the mix. This whole list of of some jokingly, right, to calling some of those things out, you know, in reference to um, to the gay community. There's some things we need to talk about. But um, the, the undercurrent is you know what a Black Lives Matter looks like. So how can you look at this and not see what I see? And I would I would offer, there's something that concerns me now that is is growing on me. And, and that was, to me, it'd be ridiculous for you to see this and not. I actually do think that it's very, very possible. Delusion and, and mass delusion in particular or mass responses to shame. Shame responses often make you make up a whole different story so you don't feel the same thing. I actually am nervous. The thing that actually makes me nervous is that there are folks who are going through this who legitimately see none of these connections. Like the the blinders are on so thick that 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 they're acting in in, in ways that some kind of conversation or engagement in a, in a moral space, laying out all the facts and bringing folks along, don't seem as possible as they did before. And that's something that I'm struggling with. Right. Yes. No, I, I, I understand what you mean. And, and you know, Luz was talking earlier about being honest, you know, and, and the thing that I've been seeing is is um, folks who who may have been a Trump supporter previously um, feeling like they can't go back and say I was wrong. And I think this is something that isn't just political. It's something that we face all the time. Right. Is people just not being able to say, hey, I got conned. And so when when folks come to me and and have a conversation with me where they say that I have so much more respect for them than somebody who I know I can see that they have that regret, but they they're just going to stand their ground and they're going to just keep going with it. And they're going to take it even further um, to prove that, no, I was right. I am right. I am right. I am right. People see it as a weakness when you say that you were wrong. Yeah, just just kind of kind of hone and buckle on in on on one particular belief point, or 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 or, or just kind of entrench themselves. That's the word I was I was looking for earlier. What, what one of the things I want to pull apart, and I think Don, you said something to this earlier, is um, this notion of like, for example, the evangelical Christian. There's an evangelical Christian um, alignment with this Trump within the Trumpism space or vein, um, and I would argue that that actually speaks to something that systemic racism does. It allows itself to be wrapped in whatever is going to give it power and breath and, and, and let it go. And so, you know, these alignments have been happening like this as long as this project has happened. Like racism will clap, clap on to whatever allows it to survive the best. 
And so you get somebody who, who in one vein might have a really strong point around, you know, you know, being suspicious of of government. That's just, but some of us are saying suspicious is in these conspiracy theories, and some are saying suspicious is in watchful and engaged and 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 ready to call out what needs to be called out. Starts to then align itself with these this radical and systemic racist behavior that we've patterned out. Um, it, it takes it could take whatever. And, and it's not just that. I think that these events on January six also expose the weaknesses of those arguments Mm -hmm. because when when the election happened four years ago and a large portion of this country was in shock i more shocked than the morning we woke up and we all realized that jesse ventura had been elected governor but folks you know why i voted them one issue pro-life and that was their argument okay um, yeah, but how about no? Well, I'm not a racist because I voted for pro-life and he was pro-life and he stands for pro-life. Four years later, the fact that still 74 million people voted, you cannot no longer hold on to this argument that you're only voting for one issue. And if you are, it's because you have the luxury of not having to deal with the other uh, backside of his policies that were negatively impacting us. So you were willing to look the other way. And that makes you complicit. And so the fact that white Americans can be complicit and look the other way allows this system to continue. And it's much like, you know, in our discussions over the summer, where we were seeing all these protests throughout the world to address social and racial justice. And here we are. Nothing's changed. I see no movement. I mean, I we, we got excited, you know, locally, we got excited over the announcement that uh, this individual who is the president of the Minneapolis Police uh, Federation has decided to uh, retire early. Well, you know, thank God, you know, what was the, the mayor? The mayor's response was good riddance. I mean, you know, um, We've been asking for this guy to leave for a long time. The, the issue, however, is that he was voted in by the majority of the officers on the Minneapolis Police Department. They were in full support of him. So nothing changes. And so those are, I think, the frustrations we have in our communities, that we see these events. They happen over and over again. We get to these moments in history where it you, you think it becomes crystal clear to our fellow countrymen, and then the narrative changes. And we're already experiencing that since January 6th. The narrative is beginning to change. The discussions are beginning to shift. You know, we can only hope that there is some kind of healing that happens as a result of what happened January 6th. Well, my follow-up question for you guys is, people keep saying that, right? We need to heal America. We need to heal. I mean, is that even, were we ever close to being a healed? I mean, we got to tell the truth first. Well, I mean, you can't, we can't heal before we, we tell the truth. Well, um, and we 
and it goes deeper than that. But before I go into that, I wanted to just close a loop on Don's statement about the segment of society and thinking that, you know, we should be on the same page. We know at least, at least for the last four years, if not longer, there's a segment of society that refuses to watch the mainstream news, right? And instead they feed their brains with these right right wing extremist media channels. And that becomes an indoctrination that is consistent in their mind about them being deprived of something, deprived of their rights, deprived of their role in society, deprived of their supremacy, you know, you name it, right? But, and then calling anything other than that extremist media channels, anything beyond that is quote unquote fake news, right? So there's, in my mind, until we resolve that structural issue, there, you know, we're not going to make progress. Uh, every system is intrinsically designed to render results as intended to get. They know what they're doing. And the question then becomes is how, you know, at one point, does this nation d- decide to take responsibility and begin to uh, censor that stuff or at least uh, have some repercussions to those who are espousing this hate? and creating and elevating the hate exponentially to the point that we're in, we find ourselves today. You know, when we talk about um, healing, we've got to tell the truth first. And, and that's well, not you, you said this before, uh, uh, Luce, you, you, you would say um, that, that truth is an essential part of healing. I think it was a, it was a podcast we did looking at absent narratives or um, un, uh, below the line history. Um, and, 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 and those are the words that you said that stuck with me for a while, that, that that truth is an essential part of healing, at least in my cultural center. And so we have to do that in order to move. Just think about any wrong that you experience as a person, whether with a family member, a friend or a colleague. When you have been hurt, you expect there to be then some truth about what mm-hmm. occurred. Someone taking responsibility, accountability to Halee's point earlier, and being able then to make amends. It, it, you know, we're we're being rushed into this unity thing. You know, this and and I'm one for unity. Don't get me wrong, but we can't gloss over the steps that are necessary to get us there as a nation and as people. Folks need to reconcile their own beliefs. They need to reconcile their actions or inactions, they need to ask themselves, you know, what am I doing so that this doesn't happen again? In the Anthony, future? yeah. how comfortable does one have to be to storm in the U.S. Capitol, destroy property, sit in someone's desk, take a selfie, steal something, and then post that bad boy on social media? How comfortable do you have to be comfortable and confident and confident knowing that you really truly believe nothing's going to happen to you and that is the centerness of white advantage particularly for white men but the fact that i was watching these individuals and and you know and and, and Lee taught, we've been making this connection to the racial uh, cause this was always, always, 
always about race and in this country. And the fact that that white male running through the rotunda with that Confederate flag and that picture of it, I think, is what hammered it home for the rest of America. There was no ifs, ands, buts about it. We have been pointing it out from our various perspectives uh, coming from our various communities of color in the American Indian community. We have pointed it out on almost every show we do on Counter Stories. But that was the most poignant photograph to show exactly what we were talking about because during the Civil War, that Confederate flag never made it inside the capital of Washington, D.C. So you speak directly to some of the nervousness of many folks going forward. As we kind of bring our conversation to a close here, you have to be reminded not only of the historical consistency of the white riotous mob to do violence, but you also have to reconcile at this very moment that when we have to tell the story, move forward and figure out and take account to what's happening around, you may just chuckle like we do. And it's a complicated chuckle. It's a way of laughing because there's nothing else you do because you've tried everything else. And you just have to laugh at the irony of the situation. Um, you've been listening to Counter Stories. I'm Anthony Galloway, Senior Partner at Dendros Group and Executive Director of Arts Us. Don Eubanks, Associate Professor at Metropolitan State University and Cultural Consultant. Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General, State of Minnesota. Again, my statements, my beliefs, and my opinions are those of my own and not of my office. And I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group. Just a reminder, we are producing our own shows and we are working with Ampers to get it on the air in various locations throughout the state. Um, in the meantime, follow us on Facebook while we work on getting our website going. Thank you so much for listening. This program is a co-production of the Counter Stories crew, the Other Media Group, and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.